Hello and welcome to another episode of Hank's a Lot, the comprehensive and encyclopedic podcast examining chronologically the films of Tom Hanks. I'm your host, Kent Shelton, and joining me from Hollywood, California, is our resident film critic, Trace Oakley. And from the upper left-hand corner of our country, from the wet streets of Seattle, Washington, is our musical director and bon vivant, the supersonic Kevin Dennis. Thank you, guys. Uh, how you doing? <laughs> Great. I love the intros. <laughs> Another beautiful week. Uh, I hope you guys had a pleasant one. Let's um, all remember that our, our fabulous host is from... Spokane, that's right, Cultural Center from, of the Universe, Spokane. That's right, from the Lilac City itself, beautiful <laughs> Spokane, Washington, the uh, the city of wide avenues and narrow minds, right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, each week on this show, we are going through the, the filmography of Mr. Tom Hanks, a celebrated American actor uh, who has made uh, what turns out to be a lot of movies. And we're going through them from the start of his career when he was just a a, a plucky, um, a, a curly-haired young jokester uh, with a, a TV career in front of him, uh, uh, all the way up to his his uh, triumphs at the Academy Awards and uh, uh, and where he stands now as a cultural icon of American cinema. And this week, oh boy, I'm so excited. We are. Uh, you're we the, are going you're the only one. <laughs> we're going to be talking about his first um, uh, leading role in a movie, albeit uh, a, a made a made for TV movie. Um, uh, fabulous, a fabulous product of the American Satanic Panic. Uh, <laughs> a little movie called Mazes and Monsters, or as some people know it, Rana Jaffe's Mazes and Monsters. Mm. Uh, I'm going to have our, uh, our resident film critic, Trace, um, give us a review. Trace, give us your oh, review. I can, by the way, I can't wait to hear what you do with this material, Trace. Because, <laughs> wow. How does one become a cultural icon? <laughs> uh, to start us on that journey, today we will examine the 1982 Canadian made-for-TV movie, Mazes and Monsters. Mazes and Monsters was based on a novel by hack writer Rona Jaffe, who saw the late 1970s panic over fantasy role-playing games like Dungeons and Dragons as perfect fodder for a reefer madness-style story of teens and college students whose lives are ruined by said games. The novel was soon turned into a TV movie in Canada, and its topical nature made it an obvious choice for the social issue-oriented American television. The logical next step would have been for CBS to remake Mazes and Monsters with Robbie Benson, Valerie Bertinelli, and Leif Garrett. But a budget freeze, or perhaps a crack bender, caused the network to purchase and air the Canadian version. The film is set at a nondescript college where a trio of gamers are anxious to start the new school year so they can revisit the dark and adventurous world of Mazes and Monsters, as the game is called to avoid legal hassles from greedy dungeon proprietors and litigious dragons. JJ, the ringleader, reunites with nerdy gal Kate and handsome and misunderstood Daniel. But the game requires a fourth. Enter Robbie, whose obsession with the game got him kicked out of his last school. He's going to crack the books this semester, burn the midnight oil, that sort of thing. Well, his mind is changed by his new friend saying, please, very profusely. JJ, 
bored of playing the game on a board, recruits the gang to live the game in some spooky caverns. He actually plans to kill his character and himself as well to make the game more dramatic. His pals scoff at the idea until he explains it will be really fun. Meanwhile, Robbie, when not spelunking in Kate's nether regions, has nightmares about his runaway brother who is trapped in a dungeon. Soon, JJ has a change of heart, but Robbie is missing. The police search for him while his cohorts use game strategy to determine his whereabouts. He thinks he's a lord or a slayer quashing evil in a long-ago fictional land, so naturally they look for him in New York City. He's there, of course, having assumed, uh, having assumed the two towers referenced in the game must be the World Trade Center. Robbie is rescued in the nick of time as he half-heartedly starts to climb off the observation deck. It's difficult to find a glimmer of quality or competence in Mazes and Monsters. Minus its cliches, the script would be about a page and a half. <laughs> the direction is atrocious and the performances range from lifeless to cartoonish bad. It does yield plenty of unintended laughs, as the entire project is so earnest in its portrayal of this ridiculous and nonsensical story. The lead actor, in, in his first starring role, evokes someone familiar to any movie buff. Imagine a Canadian Tom Hanks, and you'll have a perfect vision of the actor playing Trump. It's a performance that shows range, but the range consists of bored, followed by confused, culminating in hilariously screaming and sobbing. There's really not a single interesting or convincing moment to be found in his work here. The co-stars are a little better. Wendy Crewson, sort of a Canadian Justine Bateman, capably manages the hokum and avoids the nerd cliches that most actors playing such a role would hide. David Wallace, kind of a Canadian Ricky Schroeder, is likable and understated as the dreamboat fellow who's looks safe rat boy but heart says chess club. Chris Makepeace, two years removed from the delightful indie film My Bodyguard, plays J.J. In stark contrast to the other actors, Makepeace gives a showy, somewhat hammy performance that is watchable but never feels grounded. His career seemed to be on the rise at this point, and it's curious as to why he faded into obscurity. He didn't seem to be destined to be a great classical thespian, but one could see him one could see him being the solid, reliable actor, comfortable in any genre, and prolific enough to have a Six Degrees game named after him. If he wasn't destined to be the Canadian Olivier, he certainly could have been the Canadian Bacon. There are numerous cameos by veteran character actors such as Lloyd Bachner and Francis and Louise Sorel. Peter Donat, as police detective, seems to be auditioning for the next Airplane sequel. Also showing up briefly is Susan Strasberg as Crewson's understanding mom. There's really nothing good about Mazes and Monsters, but its stilted dialogue, overwrought acting, and cheesy special effects make it a minor entry in the massive category of Camp Classic. My final score for Mazes and Monsters, half a hanky. Well, there you have it. Uh, I could not agree with you more on most of those points. Um, this movie, a little trivia, um, this movie was considered such an embarrassment in the years after it came out that they actually demolished the World Trade Center so that people wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't, remember, <laughs> wouldn't remember that this movie had had scenes shot there. Uh, it's true. That, I, uh, when they did that. That was, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah um, it, was, uh, it was an inside so, job by Canadian True television. story. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The yeah. the the CBC is an inside job. They came and in. that 
and that was an appropriate response to this movie, I believe. <laughs> yeah. Um, my, uh, you, you mentioned that, you know, that you singled out kind of Wendy Crewson as being kind of the least culpable, uh, although she did have the most ridiculously overwrought line in the movie. There's a, a scene where she holds a lantern over her head and looks almost directly into the camera and says, the most terrifying m- monsters are the ones in your mind. And uh, it is so, um, so badly done that I mm-hmm. honestly, I had to rewind the film and watch that, that line like three or four times over. That was, that was probably in the, uh, the promos, the network promos for the film. Yeah, I'm sure it was. Um, Kevin, what are your, uh, what are, what was your big takeaway from uh, mazes and monsters? Did you learn uh, anything? I <laughs> can I learned how much I liked my bodyguard and meatballs. Um, <laughs> yeah. That that actor that played that role, uh, I agree. I, that, that was in, my takeaway was actually Trace with your, uh, you know, your review just now. I, I, I did. He really did that actor. That actor really did fade away. It's interesting how this movie was like a fulcrum for that actor going down. And Tom Hanks. Well, there's really nothing about this that did anything good for Tom Hanks' career, but it. At least he got better from here on out. And yeah, now um, I heard a story, and I, this doesn't even this doesn't even qualify as Hollywood lore necessarily because it, it's uh, it's just something I heard, I don't think it's often been repeated. But supposedly uh, in nineteen eighty two, Hollywood power brokers, um, a studio head of a studio and a super agent, were determined to capitalize on the Dungeons and Dragons craze. Um, and so they decided to try to learn to play the game. They locked themselves in a suite at Beverly Hills Hotel, and they had all the, you know, they had all the manuals, they had the dice, they had the game figurines, and everything. Tried to play the game. Two weeks later, they emerged from the suite, having not successfully played the game. So someone suggested they watch Mazes and Monsters. So they arranged a screening at CBS. And they watched Mazes and Monsters. Well, that night. They had to go to a special screening of a new studio film that had really good buzz, a movie called Trading Places. So they went to the screening of Trading Places, and then they went to um, Chasen's for a late dinner afterwards. And going to Chasen's, they got in a dispute with Burt Reynolds over a table. And uh, you know, it's a table that was usually Burt Reynolds' table, was also usually their table, and Burt Reynolds ended up getting the table. The two... Um, Hollywood power brokers sat at a different table and kind of stewed and, and fretted about it. And one of them said, you know what? I could take that guy who starred in Mazes and Monsters and make him into Burt Reynolds. And the other one said, no, no, you can't. No, you can't do that. And he said, want to bet? So again, I don't know if that's true. Yeah. They, were, they were talking about Tom Hanks. So... They they took the the famous one dollar bet from uh, uh from yeah from Teddy Close yes yeah and uh and applied it to the the career of our young Tom Hanks. See, see um, I find that very believable. Yeah. I I think I think it very well could have happened. Uh, it, there was, I would have uh, I would have taken the bet against having watched this and, and, and said, <laughs> really? said no no well no. I, I now I, I you're never going to make that kid. Well, no, I mean, I think the movie was appalling, but uh, but and but Tom Hanks did have several of his own uh, his personality and his acting style came through. 
and he didn't have much to work with, but I thought he did an okay job. It was just so painful to watch him having to do these lines and be that character. Again, the character that was, the, I'm sorry, Trace, what was the name of the actor who did, was in Meatballs and Chris uh, My Bodyguard? Chris, 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 Chris he was. He was actually very good in this movie, uh, I thought, as far as his character and his, as a caricature of himself and all that. I mean, I I still thought it was him acting, but I enjoyed him, even though it was ridiculous. Whereas Tom Hanks' character, unfortunately, in this movie, although Tom did a fine job as best he could do, God, you just really didn't have, you didn't like the guy, you didn't feel sorry for him, you just you just were like you got through with the movie and you felt like I am never going to get this cord of plasma back that I just lost. Yeah. No, when when uh, when I in the scenes where Tom Hanks is sort of superficially glib when he's like. Mm-hmm talking to his parents and stuff, you can see kind of that bouncy uh, uh, Tom Hanks charm. But the minute he has to play crazy. Yeah, it doesn't work. He does yeah. not work at all. Uh, I liked, as, I liked, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. As soon as he's like losing his mind and deciding that yeah. he has to be celibate because he's a paladin and, uh, right. And uh, telling his friends like, uh, privy huzzah, may I importune you for a Turkey leg? The minute he goes 100% yeah. Renaissance yeah. festival. It's an unbelievable performance, and just but there was, working. but there was a moment in the library when the very first, the one you alluded to, where he says he's going to be celibate, and he says to his girlfriend, you know, I can't touch you anymore, you can't touch me anymore. There was that little moment there where you caught the the actor in him that was that serious, good, believable, genuine guy. Right. I thought I felt that way. At least in that moment, I was like, no, he really believes this. He's really telling her this. It's completely him. And that was like a glimpse of his better roles in the future where he has to be a genuine, you know, dramatic player. It was just for a few seconds, but, you know, you caught that glimpse. I thought that was nice. I enjoyed that little moment. I, I want <laughs> Boy, am I, picking, boy, am I picking, <laughs> picking stuff out of the <laughs> I do want to say that the, the portrayal of all of the parents in this movie, oh. um, if, uh, boy, right now, all over the country, um, rich white people are talking about, about, uh, what a bad name they're given in the media all the time. And um, apparently that's nothing new because Mm -hmm. these white, rich parent caricatures are just so ludicrously disgusting. The, the, the mom who turns Chris Makepeace's bedroom into a, a a hospital suite with like walls, the, the the, the dad who, uh, while driving interesting thing in the movie. Tom Hanks driving him to school and is just like, uh, "Shut up, Beth! You're drunk already." And and, and this the uh, I don't like it when you're drunk. Just showing, um, just the very very worst rich white people you ever and, seen. Uh, in your life. And let's do point out Susan Strasberg playing the girl's mom. Um, the fact that she was in it, uh, that you know, if anyone ran lines with, yes, anyone in this movie could say they actually studied with Strasberg. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, uh, it's true. Uh, probably, probably got uh, uh, Tom Hanks some more, some more auditions. Yes, yeah, I've uh, been working with Strasberg. Um, yeah. I don't know. Uh, and I I'm think, embarrassed. I have no idea what you guys are talking about. So, oh, uh, uh, <laughs> she, Strasberg, uh, daughter of the uh, late uh, Lee Strasberg and acclaimed yeah. acting coach Lee Strasberg. Yeah, who coached. Ah. Marlon Brando and and James Dean and and a gotcha. whole generation of actors. Um, I, I will say I think the movie could have been a lot better had they not spent half of the budget on um, on uh, JJ's hats 
uh, <laughs> that, uh, his character who's wearing a different hat in every single scene you see him in. I think, I think I counted like 11 hats in that movie. And that, that seemed to be almost all the character development Chris Makepeace did for the role was like, yeah, yeah. okay. And in, in this scene, I'm going to wear a Sherlock Holmes hat. And in this scene, I'm going to wear a, uh, a world war one, uh, uh, German commander's helmet. And I don't know. Um, I know they were trying to make him quirky and offbeat, but, uh, but he was uh, good at that anyway. He yeah, could do he, that anyway. He, he yeah. could do that without the hats. Yeah. I was I was really mystified that he did appear to have some kind of psychic ability because the minute Tom Hanks walked on campus, he knew that that dude could play mazes and monsters. He was uh, he followed him around like a lovesick puppy, begging him to play mazes and monsters. Like he just happened to know that this guy was a a, a level nine nerd uh, in this game it was wasn't that that l on his forehead yeah i think that was probably it i think that's uh, what tipped him off tipped him off um anyway mazes and monsters um not my cup of tea and it makes me suspect that i don't really like tea and i and i might never try tea again uh but uh it was certainly the product of its time um just a, a time when parents so desperately wanted to believe that the reason that their teenager was an asshole was because of a board game and not, uh, not just because teenagers are assholes. So uh, they, that's, that's, uh, that's about all I've got on it. Um, what Kevin, did you think about the musical score for this film? Was there one? No, it was, uh, it was not worth, uh, well, no. To be fair, I mean they. No, it was it was it 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 did nothing to bring the movie forward. Or I don't feel I don't feel the music, the sounds. I won't even say music. The sounds that they put to this to this movie were did nothing to further the emotion to it or the characters or anything. It was just it was just background noise to me. I didn't find any of it valuable. Uh, that doesn't mean I could do any better. I'm not saying that. Right. I'm just saying that. I'm just saying that in this particular case, like the writing and uh, the direction. Yeah, and the, the I mean the the so the, the dramatic differences between the. I tell you what, I noticed more than the music uh, was the the graphic differences between the exposures of the different cameras and throughout the film. There was no consistency of the cinematography. And for me, as an as a musician, to notice that more than the music is distressing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know what. Uh, uh, where, where did you guys uh, find your copy of this movie to watch? I, I watched it on um, uh, on a streaming app, I think called Tubi, which offers it for free. Um, I think that's where I got it too. And uh, I started watching it, and and it looked almost like a like a a kinescope that's when they used to take a camera and film right. a tv set uh it was like you yeah. know, before, before there was vhs and they would just film a tv set showing something in order to capture it it was so terrible that i was like oh no no, no. there has to be a better way to watch this movie so i uh i found it on two other streaming services and it was the exact same print i don't yeah, think- it, it's it's almost like it was a lost film and they managed to you know cobble together real here or there which yeah. if it was really 
why did you guys bother? <laughs> yeah. Well, I found it. Back to ahead, sound. I, 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 um, I was bothered a little bit that you could hear the dialogue. Yeah, that was that was should have uh, <laughs> worked on that. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, it, all right. Yeah. It would have uh, it definitely would have been would have been better if they would have. I found, been, I found was, the music was distracting and it did not cover up the dialogue. <laughs> yeah, if they could have had much louder music every time oh, someone was talking, yeah, maybe yeah. just those. Those title cards, like in a silent film, and like and, like and a, and just and a fog horn, just a, just a fog horn going out through the entire movie would have been fun. some kind of a siren yeah. or something would have been good, yeah. or one of those car alarms, just like beep yeah. beep beep. Yeah, that's been good. That would have been. Oh no, yeah, it would have kept me awake a little better. <laughs> um, I think I found my version on on YouTube and it was free. I found mine on a free one too. I. Don't think it matters what format you watch this movie. No, I just, I just, I, I just couldn't believe it. it seemed uh, like you said, just like, and maybe it was how it was made. It seemed so blurry. It seemed like from scene to scene, like the exposures would, yeah, would yeah, be vastly yeah. Blown I out. noticed like, that, and I don't know yeah, I noticed that, and I was like, two characters in one uh, room would be having a discussion, and every time the camera would switch back between them, it looked like they were filmed in. <laughs> Different, different time. Of day. I mean, yeah. I'm I'm sure they'll clean that up for the uh, Criterion release. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they absolutely will. I'm sure. Yeah. Gonna... I can't wait to hear the the director's commentary. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, What's next? What's next on our cavalcade of Hanks? I believe. Uh, no, I think it is Bachelor Party. Oh really? Oh, okay. Look. Is it? Uh, Thank uh, God. That's a I, movie. I believe. I believe our next film is the the Tawny Katane vehicle. Uh, uh, it has song. music in it. It has music in it. I'll be so it happy. Does. No, um, oh. well, we we're going to close our episode as we're going to close every episode with a uh, uh, a song <laughs> written specifically uh, to yeah. to immortalize uh, uh, this movie. Um, our our musical director Kevin has composed <laughs> a little ma- mazes and monsters song, and. Um, I hope that you will enjoy it as as much as I do, um, <laughs> and uh, uh, I want to encourage wow. our listeners if you've got a if you've got a comment or a suggestion or something to say about this, um, please feel free to drop us a line uh, at, at mazesandmonsters dot com at Hanks a lot, all one word Hanks a lot. At gmail.com. Uh, <laughs> Hanks a lot. Exclamation point at gmail.com. Sorry. You just, made, you just, made, you just oh. made up that email address yeah. just right oh. now, right? Hanks a lot. Exclamation really? point okay. at gmail.com. If you've got a, a, a comment, if you've seen this movie, if you had a memory, if you want to set us straight, if you want to tell us why we were wrong about our assessment of this uh, Tom Hanks film. Let oh, us we'd love to hear that. We'd love and to if, hear that. And if you would like to compose your own theme song uh, yes. as a commentary on, on Kevin's yes. theme song, hey, send it to hanksalot, yep. exclamation point, at gmail.com, and uh, you, you might be featured on an upcoming episode. Oh, that so, would be delightful. So, uh, dear listeners, you've got your homework laid out for you. Um, watch Bachelor Party. 
uh, it might not be a better movie, but it's definitely a lot more fun than this one. And it it definitely has more, uh, I think, donkeys doing cocaine and stuff like that in it. Uh, if I if memory serves me, I think Spoiler. a donkey. I think a donkey does cocaine. I don't Spoiler. know. I haven't, I, haven't seen, I haven't seen it since I was eighteen. I may be wrong. I might I might have been doing cocaine with a donkey when I saw it. And just be mixing. And just, in, in, juxt- juxtapose. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, we've all been there. Either. Of oh. course. Yeah. <laughs> they, uh, there's a whole, whole sections of Tijuana used to have a donkey show back in those days. It was a miraculous time. It was a lot more wildlife. <laughs> um, hey, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, again, uh, Hanks a lot, exclamation point at gmail.com. Uh, I want to thank you, Trace. And I want to thank you, uh, Kevin, very much. And, and we'd like to thank you, of course, our illustrious leader, Kent Shelton. And it only gets better from here in the Tom Hanks oeuvre until it gets really bad a couple of times. So uh, thank you so much. And we'll see you next time on Hanks a Lot. And here comes a song just for you. Monsters and mazes is so very sad. Hanks was fair good, but the movie was bad. There's a guy with many hats, and no one dares pry. Tom's character chooses chastity, and we don't know why. The movie ends sadly with Tom losing his mind. Let's hope his next movie is a much better fight. This has been another episode of Hanks a Lot, the Tom Hanks podcast, recorded in Spokane, Washington at Cliffside Studios. Your hosts are Kent Shelton, Trace Oakley, and Kevin Dennis. If you've got comments, questions, or your own thoughts about the Tom Hanks filmography, please reach out to us at hankspodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. That's hankspodcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Tell your friends, bring your sister, and we'll see you next time for Hanks a Lot. <laughs>